This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c Early intervention is a very broad term. It's used to describe the services and supports that are available to young children. So we're talking babies, infants, preschool age usually, who might need more support. And the most common way people, I think, think about it is children with developmental delays and disabilities at an early age. So usually pediatricians and other providers kind of recommend referrals to families to get quote unquote early intervention when there's a diagnosis. So whether it's from birth, a cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, or it's a year into their life when they are diagnosed with a speech delay or autism, they're diagnosed on the spectrum, that's kind of like that first go-to of we're gonna send you a referral for early intervention because early intervention allows you to get started earlier than just going into school. Welcome to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. This show's success is largely due to you and the way you share the podcast with others and leave reviews. So thank you so much. You have caused this podcast to become a top 50 parenting podcast. And I am so grateful to have the most amazing guests to guide you in your parenting journey, topics about all things parenting, child health, and parental mental health, and child development. Today's guest is Amanda Sologi. She is the executive director and co-founder of the Inclusive Education Project. And we're talking about an important topic in child development, which is early intervention, what it is, why it's important, and how to get services. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amanda. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I've been following your podcast for so long, having a pandemic baby too. Your podcast and your platform has helped me so much. So this is just a real treat for me. Oh, well, it's a real treat for me too, because that's so sweet for you to say. And also, I just think the topic that we're discussing is so important. And I haven't had anyone on the podcast particularly talk about early intervention yet. You know, I speak about it in my stories, even on some blogs that I have and resources I have, but I'm just so grateful that you connected and that you wanted to come on the show to share your experience and also why this is so important for families to know. Yeah, it is very important. It's something that I don't think, I think it's talked about broadly. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's as many like actionable steps that people talk about. They can say early intervention, early intervention, go do it. But then families are left with how. Well, tell us before we get into that conversation, tell us a bit more about yourself and even about the inclusive education project that you've co-founded. Sure. So early on, I worked with kids all my life, kids with disabilities, and I thought I was going to be a special education teacher. My aunt is a special ed teacher, and I worked at a school with full inclusion and fell in love with the kids I worked with. But I quickly just learned how much red tape there is in the education system. And 
how much difficulty that teachers have with really doing the work that they want to do. And I'd always been told I should go to law school. And I worked with this family who told me about how they had to file a lawsuit against their school to get their child included in a general oh, wow. education class. Mm-hmm. And it really was kind of one of those like blending of things for me. It kind of clicked and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I went to law school, finding out more about education law and special education and realizing just how much I could like impact families' lives and help them from that side of things. And so I went to law school, met my business partner, and we both started practicing special education law, realizing that like this one case at a time approach just wasn't having a great impact on the system. The law is very individualized. So when you help one family, it doesn't really help other families as much. And so we started our nonprofit, the Inclusive Education Project, as a way to still support families with legal services, but on the lower end, so free and low cost services. But what we just wanted to do was help spread awareness and help educate parents to be able to advocate for their children in a way that they wouldn't always need an attorney. Certainly, there's many cases they still need an attorney, but it was a way for us, and we created our podcast, and we have social media platforms as a way to really help educate families on where they can go for support and really trying to empower them to advocate for their children. Cause a lot of families are really worried about how do they do this? They're worried about yeah. retaliation and whatnot. Oh, this is so great. I didn't know that before obviously chatting with you about the the law background and obviously being a special education lawyer, that is phenomenal way to kind of bridge that passion and obviously for childhood education. And I resonate with the idea that you mentioned about the red tape in education and how that existed. It exists in healthcare too, in many states, especially. So I love it. I'm so glad that we could connect. And we are chatting about early intervention, what exactly it is, why it's important and how to get services. So let's start with what it is. And I recognize that people who may be listening outside of the United States may have similar services, but we're really talking about it for United States particularly, because that's what we know. But yeah, what is early intervention and why is it important that parents know about it? Yeah. So early intervention is a very broad term. It's used to describe the services and supports that are available to young children. So we're talking babies, infants, preschool age, usually, who might need more support. And the most common way people, I think, think about it is children with developmental delays and disabilities at an early age. So usually pediatricians and other providers kind of recommend referrals to families to get quote unquote early intervention when there's a diagnosis. So whether it's from birth, a cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, or it's a year into their life when they are diagnosed with a speech delay or autism, they're diagnosed on the spectrum. That's kind of like that first go-to of we're going to send you a referral for early intervention because early intervention allows you to get started earlier than just going into school because we know Mm -hmm. we don't have universal preschool in this country yet. So the first time many kids are exposed to school, especially low-income families, is kindergarten. So the idea that these children really need more support to learn new skills, to overcome challenges, and increase their successes once they get to school. So it's usually this birth to three or five year range is usually what we're talking about with early intervention. And the age range that you just mentioned, so births to three and five, does it just depend on state? 
So under the federal law, if a child has a disability, whether it is a diagnosis ability or it is something that is suspected, a lot of people think, well, if I don't have a diagnosis, then I can't get services. And that's just not correct because there's a lot of things that we don't know right away, right? We don't always know that there's a disability at birth or even at two or three. Sometimes it doesn't come up. We get children diagnosed with dyslexia in fifth grade. So having any underlying challenges at that early ages is what we're looking at. So the federal law, there's a number of them, the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. There is the IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. These laws govern how we are treating people living with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And one of the important things is that when a child reaches the age of three in all 50 states, school districts are obligated to support these families. Now, what that means is when they are two and a half, they can start the evaluation process to getting services. So when we talk about this three to five year range, Mm -hmm. that's usually the time when Families are starting to see challenges, whether they're at a preschool setting and they're getting kicked out for behaviors or they are been going to speech therapy for a while and they're not seeing an improvement. Maybe they can't get into a preschool or maybe they are in a preschool, but they're not really sure how am I going to get my child ready for kindergarten and the public education system doesn't kick in yet. So this time frame, the three to five is when the school districts actually are still on the hook for Mm -hmm. providing services. There are agencies across the board in across each state that supports children who are birth to three. In California, they are called regional centers. Mm-hmm. Um, in other states, they're called different things. I actually looked it up in Florida. They have different names for it in other agencies. The CDC actually has a nice little link I had found. Yeah that has all of the different states and like agencies that you can get early intervention if your child is under three. So that's before the school district kicks in. But what most people aren't aware of is this three to five year old range when the school district is on the hook and parents can receive services, whether it is preschool services in some states and some districts or speech therapy, occupational therapy. It kind of is a wide spectrum of services that are available And certainly the birth to three, a lot of times we're looking at behavioral services. Most of the time it's for developmental disabilities, but it really just depends on on the individual need of the child and the family. And so you brought up a great thing that I wanted to talk about is people. You mentioned like what exactly are you getting evaluated? So yeah, zero to three, obviously a lot of this stuff is developmental. Feeding issues in zero to three are part of that too. People forget that feeding is development. Mm -hmm. So yeah, feeding issues. So speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, behavioral, and same thing from three to five, right? Does early intervention services, or just say it's a three plus year old child that's going to go through like a school system, behavioral concerns. Like if a parent of a three and a half year old is struggling with tantrums and has really tried everything, do they go through these services or how would they get help for those kind of things. Yeah. So the law, it allows for a lot in this Mm -hmm. age range. There is no rule that says you have to have a diagnosis of autism or a diagnosis of Down syndrome or or the like in order to get services. All it requires is that there is a suspicion of a disabling condition that is impacting learning. And remember, learning isn't just, you know, arithmetic, reading, writing. It's not just the classroom environment. Learning is everything. Like you mentioned, feeding. If your child is learning to speak, to communicate with you, to feed themselves, to 
use the restroom to tie their shoes, using fine motor skills to hold onto a fork. These are all aspects of learning that if there is something going on that you as a parent or as a provider suspect that there is something going on, this child can be referred to the school district as early as two and a half. And the reason I say two and a half is because the assessment process for the district sometimes takes a few months. In some states, there is a strict timeline. So in California, it has to be done in 60 days from the time that the parent consents to assessments. But in other states, it's what's considered a reasonable time. So if the idea is that you want services to start at three, Mm -hmm. if you're at two, two and a half, and you're thinking, man, I'm really struggling and I've gone everywhere else and no one's really able to help me, then this is the time to go to your school district um, at two and a half so that you can get everything going so that by the time they start three, they can be possibly placed in a program within the local school district. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. So I think it's important that we clarify this because a lot of times, for example, like let's say we're talking about a two and a half year old, okay, Mm -hmm. who is maybe just say in a private preschool or not yet in school, parents don't realize that, yes, you are going to use the public school system at that point, right? So how would a parent contact or start that process if it's an older child, let's say a two and a half year old, meaning would they just Google, go online and search on the internet, like how to contact the school district to get that ball rolling? Yeah. So every school district is going to have a website under the federal law where they talk about LEAs or local educational agencies, because in some states, school districts are very large. So when we think of a large school district, we think of Los Angeles Unified School District, which is one of the most Mm -hmm. largest districts 
And some states like Texas have like county districts, so they're very large. In other states, they have smaller school districts that have like, you know, four or five schools. So you're going to look either for your district or your local educational agency. So when you're looking at, let's say, kindergarten and you go yeah. online, and you say, what's my local school? Where is my kid going to go? You're going to kind of do that same process when they're two and a half, three. You're going to say, where is my home school and what school district or LEA are they in? And that's who you'd contact. And I mean, we're in the age of technology and everything yeah. is online nowadays. Right. So Google the school district. On their website, they should have a section for special education. Sometimes it's going to be called support services, but you can always give them a call. You can always show up to the district office and say, I'm concerned that my child, something is impacting their learning, whether you have a diagnosis or not. And you present the school district with this information and you say, I'd like to get my child evaluated to see if there are supports available for them. And that is what triggers the school district's obligation to do an assessment of your child to see what they might qualify for during this time. Well, that's great. And I I love that we're talking about the older child as well, because you had already mentioned like the names are different in every state. So in, in Florida, our early intervention program is called Early Steps. So maybe that's the name. So with early steps, it's under three. But yes, that two and a half to three is a great area because once that child hits three, they no longer qualify for the services of early steps. So I love that you're talking about older children. Now, if it's a younger child, let's say it's under two and a half. Okay, a lot of the misconception is that you need a pediatrician referral or a clinician referral, but that's not the case. So how can a parent contact early intervention services if they're younger than two and a half? Would that CDC link be um, a useful one? Yes, absolutely. So every state, the way they operate is different. So in California, we have what's called regional centers. And Mm -hmm. those are private nonprofit organizations, but they contract with the state. So in a sense, they are a wing and arm of the state. And what they do is they provide the support from birth to three and then 22 on because the school district's obligation is from three to 22. So the regional centers kind of fill the bookends gaps of the school age child. And unfortunately, the regional centers here in California, they mostly are dealing with developmental disabilities. So kids with autism, and we see that sometimes families are not eligible. So we have the regional center is the perfect first place to start. So if you go to the CDC link and you find your state, you're going to see different agencies that are there to support. Certainly there are other nonprofits in each state that support as well. The ones on the CDC website are generally going to be ones that are either an arm of the state or partner Mm -hmm. with the state. So they're usually going to receive state or federal funds to help fund these services. And that's how they become low or free cost services for families. But there's certainly nonprofits out there as well. And one thing sometimes families don't know is that their insurance, if they do have insurance, covers a lot of these services as well. It may be limited, but ABA or applied behavioral analysis, those are um, behavioral therapies that can be in your home from birth to three. Those are usually covered by insurance. This is a more recent development, uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy. So we always tell families, like, go to the government agencies, go to the nonprofits, and also ask your insurance because you may get a block of hours of services in one, but it may not be enough. So if yeah. you go to two, and we realize that this isn't always the case for families that don't have insurance, 
um, or are unable to access these services. So, so that is kind of a problem that we are seeing across the country is that the access to services is often challenging. And the cost that you mentioned. So the evaluation itself, like just say a family wants to get their child evaluated. Is there cost to that or does that depend? And also, what are the cost of services? Like if they do qualify for speech therapy, as an example, does that also just depend on state insurance coverage and things like that? Yeah. So most of these agencies that are arms or connected to the state are usually going to be free, both the evaluation and the services, whether they provide services in-house or with the pandemic, we saw, you know, low staffing. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still experiencing. So some of these agencies have had to partner with private organizations to fulfill the services that they promised to provide. And it's supposed to be Free. That's why these agencies get the money from the federal and state government. Insurance companies can sometimes pay. Um, and I know that Medicare and Medi-Cal often can pay for some of these too, especially like developmental screenings. We often post because there's usually at least a couple times a year, there's nonprofits that do developmental screenings for free for families. And I know that there are organizations across the country that do this. So sometimes the evaluation part it's a little bit easier to access free assessments. It's the services that may not always be free. If say you go to these agencies and they say, okay, you qualify for 10 hours of speech therapy a year. And you're like, well, what if my child needs it once a week? There's 52 weeks in a year. That's not going to be enough. And even insurance companies may pay um, the majority, but there's still a copay. So it's not always going to be free. There are avenues to get free services, especially for low-income families, but it's not like a guaranteed thing. But when you get to the three to five-year range and older, that's when it should be entirely free because it is covered by the school district. So that's where the change usually lies. And we see a lot more kiddos that need the services between three and five because they didn't get it earlier on, mostly because of cost and access. This is so useful. I love this conversation because I think there is some discrepancy in communication of that that I hear also from families when they're surprised that there may be a cost or what's going on. So thank you so much. And you had mentioned about the pandemic, you know, the pandemic. Absolutely. I saw it as well. The barriers to access for a lot of things, not only just when things open back up, getting into see your clinician, but also developmental evaluations and resources were so hard to find. And it was very stressful as a pediatrician with families coming in for this. Is there any legal requirement on wait times? Like my biggest concern as a pediatrician and someone who's obviously very into child development is, you know, just say a family calls for an early intervention evaluation. Um, Let's use an example of a two-year-old and they don't hear back. And maybe this was more so in the pandemic, not so much now, but they don't hear back. So they call back again, or I have it where the family doesn't follow up. And I always say, I'm like, make sure you call back, be the squeaky wheel. Like, please be the squeaky wheel. Call, call, call. If you don't hear from them, call back because sometimes we get families lost in the cracks because we tell them you need to do this. They don't do it because they have 5,000 other things happening in their life. I don't blame them. I'm not saying that it's their fault, but they also need to call and stay on top of it. Do you see like there's been reports of families feeling like there's a long wait list or wait times? Or is it really that as long as you call, you keep calling, you get on the assessment list, that you should be able to get an evaluation in a timely manner? Because we know that development is important early on, uh, which is why we want them to get evaluated. 
Yeah. I mean, we are seeing real wait times. I mean, it's gotten better probably in the last six months, but you know, we work with a lot of providers and we have a lot of providers on like our podcast that we talk to about this. And unfortunately there was a lot of burnout in COVID and a lot of people left the field or they switched or they completely changed careers, whether it was because of, you know, needing to be able to pay for expenses or just the burnout. And we are seeing a lot of staff shortages across the board from public agencies, school districts to private agencies. And so because school districts and regional centers and these early intervention services, they're having shortages, they're having to then reach out to private organizations to fulfill their contracts, which then makes the private agencies even more full. We're in Southern California and If I had a family that wanted ABA therapy, behavioral therapy, you know, I could throw a rock and I could find five. But in rural parts of the state and the country, that's not the case. So even if a family is told, hey, just keep calling more and more places, they may not find someone except for someone who's two hours away. And if they're going to go two hours away for therapy, is that beneficial for their one and a half year old to sit in the car for four hours to get a service? It may not be feasible. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart, protein plus and keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 and use code pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code pedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Becoming a new mom does not come with a manual, but I'm trying to get as close to it as possible. Are you expecting a baby or know somebody who is? Make sure to grab my first year course, The New Mom Survival Guide. The on-demand course contains modules covering parenting in the first year, newborn feeding like breast and formula feeding, newborn sleep and infant sleep, introduction of solids, safety, baby care how-tos, developmental milestones, teething, and so much more. With videos and printables, you will feel supported through the first year. The course also has a roadmap that takes you through what to expect visit by visit so you can feel more confident and calm in the choices that you make and the stages that you'll go through during your baby's first year. By purchasing, you also get access to our Facebook community to troubleshoot issues or concerns. It also makes a great gift that can support a new mom through her motherhood journey. Check out the New Mom Survival Guide by visiting pedsdoctalk.com and searching our popular courses. You had asked about, are there, you know, legal timelines? And when it comes to the school district, so that three and up, yes, when okay. it comes to birth to three, it's a little bit more of a gray area because these agencies that are providing these early intervention services, they are receiving money from the state and federal government in most cases 
for this purpose to provide early intervention. But the laws kind of put in place by Congress and how they're getting those money, it's not as clear what their obligations are with it. And so it's a little bit more difficult to enforce challenges. So what we often see is a child should be receiving speech therapy at, say, the age of two. And if they can't get speech therapy until three, they are even more behind. If they had gone at two, they may have needed 30 minutes a week for that year. And maybe they could have exited from speech because they would have made enough progress. But if they're not starting until three, now they might need an hour a week or two hours a week. And it might take two years to get to that point. So we're always going to see it kind of eventually lead to the school district and the school system. If these kids, especially our pandemic kiddos, because these are the ones that are hit the most, a lot of kids who, you know, didn't get a lot of social interaction their first few years of life, or say kids who started preschool in the pandemic and then couldn't go to preschool. They're the ones who are needing this early intervention and they're not able to access it. So when they finally get to the school system, they are more behind as ever. Now, the way that the school laws kind of work is that it doesn't matter kind of whose fault it is that the student didn't receive services, whether the family couldn't access early intervention or there was a wait list or nobody knew that there was a disability, whatever the case may be. The reality is when a school district receives a child and there is a delay or their child is behind, it doesn't matter where that delay came from. All that matters is that they need to address it and they need to bring them up to speed with where they should be kind of commensurate with their abilities. But that is probably the biggest reason why my job even exists because that doesn't happen most of the time. Well, yeah, I mean, we're talking so much about just all the different steps that it takes to get the services versus recognizing that you need services. I think that's such an important role in education for families on what is, you know, what we expect to be typical in terms of age and what's going on with your child's development. And that's a lot on clinicians. And then obviously getting the services set up, getting the evaluation, obviously getting them, you know, tied into whatever they need. And you mentioned that it, it is something that ends up in the school system. You know, part of me, I'm in healthcare. I see this stuff is so important to me, as you know, this is why I wanted you to come on like early childhood education and early childhood development. And I'm talking that first five years, let's see, even like the first six years. Okay. You're in California. I'm in Florida. It's so stressful that a lot of it is dependent on where you live in this country um, to a large degree. And I'm speaking like I'm in Florida where I have autistic children and getting them in to ABA or getting them into just even an evaluation, it takes forever. And it's not the parent. sometimes it's literally like the wait list. Like moms have told me that, Oh, I'm on a wait list at some, you know, there's a school nearby in our area that does work with a lot of autistic families. And it's so frustrating because I'm like, they need the support, but there really is such a barrier to that and putting it on the school system too. I know that they have so much going on, you know, there's so much that they're evaluating and with low funds. And I've always felt like we just need way more resources and way more funding to this entire area. And I know you agree. And I know we've chatted about, you know, the state differences and stuff, but this is so important so that parents know how to advocate for themselves and how to push if they need the help. Yeah. And I mean, when we touch on why is it so important, it's not just that kids ages birth to five, that's when so much development occurs, but it's also the goal is to get your child ready for school too. And that's the piece that I think there's a lot on social media right now about kindergarten readiness and what you need to do. And I'm 
not talking about getting your kid ready for kindergarten so that they can be reading and writing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being able to have your child be in an inclusive environment. Because what we see happen so often is that a child who could have, should have received services at one or two or three and didn't, they enter kindergarten, they struggle. And the school district says, your child is so behind, they're not accessing or they're having behaviors. So they're having to be removed from the class. Maybe they're getting suspended, which that's a whole other topic on itself, a kindergartner getting suspended, but that happens. Yeah. These are happening. And the school district then says, you know, your child really can't be in this environment. They need to be pulled to a special day class. They need to be pulled to a separate setting. And what happens to that child when they are just starting their educational experience and they are being completely excluded from the general population and the general education environment, they are being taken away from the equal opportunity to learn that is really important for our kiddos. And so when we look at early intervention, A lot of what we're looking and kind of when we have clients and when we have families we're working with and we're trying to get them the right services, a lot of it is that eye of how can we get a lot of these underlying skills, the Mm -hmm. skills that are a little bit easier for most families to teach their kids that these kids with developmental or any other type of a disability, they have an extra hurdle. How can we get them up there to where they can access that general education kindergarten the minute they step through their school district doors? Because the minute they get pulled to a separate classroom, it becomes more challenging every day they are in there to get them back to an inclusive setting. So we're looking at it from the eye of wanting to give kids an opportunity to learn the same way as their peers. Well, I was just going to ask about inclusive education. Obviously, your project, your um, nonprofit about inclusive education project, I think you already alluded to it, but why is this so important? If there's anything else you want to add, why is this inclusive education necessary for children? So inclusive education really benefits us all. It benefits Mm -hmm. everybody. It benefits the child living with a disability. It benefits their peers, the adults, our communities, because it doesn't just encourage these equal opportunities and equity, but it also encourages understanding and acceptance of differences. So which unfortunately is something that many adults in this country have trouble with. (laughs) And we wonder why they have trouble with it because they weren't taught that as kindergartners, unfortunately. So the school that I worked at before I went to law school was a full inclusion school, meaning that it was a public charter school where 20% of their population was kids with disabilities. And they were fully included in the general education environment. If they needed AIDS, they had AIDS. If they needed speech therapy, they had it. The goal was to have them in the general education class as much as possible. And it was one of those one in a million schools. It was amazing to see that not only were the kids that I worked with were supported the way that they should be, but their peers, the students with disabilities weren't students with disabilities to them. They were their friends. Mm -hmm. They weren't anything different because they learned from kindergarten on that they were just one of their peers, that there was nothing different about them. They weren't on this special bus. They weren't on in this special class. They weren't a special education student. It was, and the amount of just amazing things I saw in the school of these peers who I worked with a little boy who had Down syndrome. And when he needed a little break, a sensory break from the classroom, we'd pull him out and he loved basketball. So he would get to choose a peer to play basketball with him for, you know, it was like three minutes. So it wasn't a huge time out of the classroom. And the kids loved playing with him. They fought over who got to help him in class and outside of class because Mm -hmm. 
they not only accepted him, but they understood him as their peer. They didn't see him different. And I can only imagine, because that was so many years ago, these, all of these kids that I worked with are now adults. And I can imagine that they are much more accepting adults than peers who, you know, when I was in school, um, I remember there being two kids with autism who were at my school. That's the only ones I knew of. And they were in a separate class. And the only reason I even knew that they existed was because once a week for one hour, they came into our class and we rotated sitting next to them. That was Mm. all I knew. Yeah. That was all we were taught. So this inclusive education is the first time when kids are exposed to maybe people who are different. And if we can teach them at an early age, we're not having to backtrack and have as many problems as I think we see with employers not being accepted of disabilities from having former presidents who think it's okay to make fun of people who are disabled, right? Yeah. You know, we have a lot of problems with not accepting each other. And I think this is where it all begins. Absolutely. So much of what we are and who we are and what we learn is in that first seven years. I say it all the time. So my husband, like mm-hmm. how we learn to communicate with others, respect others, differences, our relationship with ourselves, our bodies, food. I mean, it's so important and not putting pressure on us as parents, but it's an yeah. important role, you know, like yeah. it is an important thing. I think we have to recognize that parenting is a responsibility. And also, like you said, education, inclusive education is so important as well. Yeah. And I know that a lot of families sometimes will be, well, you know, I was told that we can go into the special day class and it sounds amazing. These school districts, they sell parents on these classes Mm -hmm. by saying it's going to be individualized to your kid. It's going to be a slower pace. It's going to be all the support they need. But if you take a classroom where you're learning at a slower pace, inherently, you're going to learn less in a year. And every year you're learning less, you're falling further and further behind. So it's not giving that child an opportunity to access the same amount of learning. It's not giving them the opportunity to encourage growth and skill development, like through peer modeling, and also just having higher expectations because these separate classrooms have lower expectations. And under the law, we talk all the time about the expectation is for challenging goals and objectives for kids. They need to be challenging. They should be challenging. Just because a child has a disability doesn't mean they can't be challenged. And I think that's something that is lost in the shuffle oftentimes is like, oh, we need to make sure that they can do it without thinking, well, maybe they can. Why are we thinking they can't? We should be first thinking that they can Oh, Amanda, this was such a great conversation and so important. And I love that we chatted about this final piece about this inclusivity. So all this goes more than just we need to help the kids. It's also just about we need to help each other and acceptance. So I love this conversation. What would be your final message for everyone listening today? I think to parents, especially, but also to providers, trust Mm -hmm. your gut. If you think that there is something going on, even if you don't know exactly what it is, trust that gut. There's so many resources out there. And I know it's difficult sometimes with information overload, especially with social media of knowing like, who do I trust or who do I follow? If you're able to find an agency in your location, in your state, um, whether it's birth to three and it's one of these separate agencies or it's three and above and it's your school district, there's no harm in asking for support and for services. Even if there is seemingly long lines 
still push forward because yeah. your child deserves it and you deserve it too. You deserve to have the tools to help your child as much as you can. And I know that sometimes families go to one doctor or another, a therapist, and they're told, no, your child's fine. Don't worry about it. If you and your gut think, no, there's something going on, trust that gut, get a second opinion. I couldn't agree more. And I will be linking that CDC link because I do like it as well, where it has state by state kind of hyperlinks of, you know, where to get those resources, um, especially for that zero to two and a half year range. Is there anywhere else in terms of if people want to stay connected with what you're doing with the Inclusive Education Project or other resources that you want to share with everyone today? Yes, absolutely. So you can go to our website. It's www.inclusiveeducationproject.org. But most importantly is our podcast. Every week we've been doing this podcast, I think since 2017, we have on professionals who share as much information as we can kind of get to families. We talk about inclusive education. We talk about early intervention. We talk about speech therapy from sensory regulation to dyslexia to School district challenges. It's not really a legal podcast, although we share legal tidbits, but it's really about trying to get families informed um, and educated on how they can better support their child. So, you know, we encourage people to go listen to our podcast and um, we do have our social media handles. It's Inclusive Education Project, same as our name on Instagram, Facebook. And we recently joined TikTok. I don't know how I feel about it because I don't like videos, but (laughs) TikTok is a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. But it's good. You have to kind of go where the people are. So yes. just like Ariel from Little Mermaid, you got you yep. to go where they are. So uh-huh, there's a lot absolutely. of people, a lot of, and especially a lot of young families on TikTok. So I understand. Yep. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. This is so helpful. Like I said, I'm going to be linking those resources as well. But thanks again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. And for everyone tuning in, if you love this episode, which I'm sure you did, it was so informative and I just love talking about early intervention and the importance, but also how to get there if you need it. Make sure you leave a review or rating wherever you can. This is how the podcast and show continues to grow and reach more people that need this information. And I cannot wait to chat with another guest next week. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, PedsDocTalkTV. We'll talk to you soon. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more.